podcastjuice.net. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prince Podcast here on podcastjuice.net. Of course, my name is Michael Dean. And also joining me today is Mr. Big Sexy and Saxer. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing great. I'm knee deep in this uh, Ezekiel Elliott uh, appeal, but it's all good. It's all good. That's why we get paid the big money. All right. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got a special guest today coming from Minneapolis, as a matter of fact. Uh, this brother, Mr. Ralph L. Crowder Third. I mean, I get that right. He's an independent journalist, and he is here to... Rec- so he has a series called Controversy, and it's uh, Prince's Death in the City of Minneapolis. Let me read a little bit here. Independent journalist Ralph L. Crowder III recounts details and has created an alternate, uh, alternative black perspective series surrounding the death of Prince and its broader reflection of family and community issues in the city of Minneapolis. So, uh, Mr. And I'm just butchering your name. Crowder. Oh, you got it right, bro. Oh, okay, Crowder, oh, sir. Crowder. How, how you doing, yeah. man? How you doing? Man, I, I'm, I'm doing good, man. I'm in transition, still moving toward my African name. So, we, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got everything up. cool with it, everything the way it is, brother. Yeah, I'm doing good today, man. How y'all doing? Man, we're blessed. Good, good to have a conversation right. with you and to keep the the legacy of Prince out there and and to control the narrative as usual. Um, yes, yes, we got to do that. Yeah, so let's just start at the top, man. Can you give us sort of an overview of controversy? Your series here. Yeah, man. I mean, it all kind of stemmed from um, being hands on and documenting. Uh, as an independent journalist, um, the the uh, you know the tragic uh, passing uh, of of the brother um, and the reaction uh, to with the city of Minneapolis and uh, St. Paul, um, really the whole state actually, but you know central cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, it was amazing to see you know the the you know as as people move to transition to death, it's amazing to see uh, how one's contributions are appreciated more in passing than really they are while they're living. Mm. And, you know, to see um, thousands of white liberal uh, folks um, parading, dancing, and downtown Minneapolis at the one of the most racist clubs uh, uh, in the city, historically, First Avenue, a venue that wouldn't even let uh, Prince perform there until he appeared on Saturday Night Live uh, when his first single popped off and he was a, a, a major uh, recording artist on a major corporate label. Uh, to see the, the contradiction of, you know, the history of this city and all those white liberal folk here in the Twin Cities taking over and controlling the narrative in front of this club was absolutely amazing. Um, so I uh, moved to kind of tell an alternative narrative and perspective on Prince, his legacy, his passing, and the contradictions of uh more specifically Minneapolis, but I'll say inclusively the Twin Cities. 
And so, hence, we have the title controversy. All right. Uh, wow. That's narrative. Yeah. So, I, I, I already, listen, I already know some people massively triggered over what you just said, right? And that's okay. Because I want to jump in. I want to go into a lot of the things that you just brought up. Uh, let's just start mm-hmm. from the First Avenue perspective. Now, to be clear, I, I'm not from that area. Uh, I'm from Seattle, yeah. Washington, which I would think may be sort of similar in terms of population to blacks to other people in the in that particular area. I think we make up less than 10 percent of the population here in Seattle. I would imagine Minneapolis is not too far uh, that, you know, sort of perspective and blacks and other people in that races in that area. But as a Prince fan, a lot of us got introduced uh, by the movie First Avenue. And Purple Rain. Purple Rain. I'm sorry. The movie First Avenue. Uh, Here Mm -hmm. we go. Pull my Prince card. Uh, The movie Purple Rain. We see First Avenue. It starts. Let's go crazy. And, you know, it's iconic scene. uh, Prince performing there and looks excellent i remember as a kid i wanted to come to first avenue after watching that movie i was like that's the spot and you got morris is in there jamming you know the time mm-hmm. uh you know uh yeah. modern airs with, with, with des they're getting it yeah. in you know i was like okay right. but tell me the reality of you grew up in that area what's the reality versus what that movie presented in terms of first avenue well, the reality at that time, they was making that club money. <laughs> mm. That's what that's all about. And uh, I'm talking from personal experience, and, I, and we talked a little bit prior to the, the interview tape. And, you know, uh, you know, coming from that class of 89 in high school and very um, directly involved with, uh, you know, um, promoting and, and um, establishing... Uh, different venues in terms of hip-hop within this community, um, you know, First Avenue, man, is has been notorious for its, its absolute racism uh, um, with um, opening their doors to black promoters and um, um, uh, uh, basically black music in general. I mean, again, if they're controlling the narrative or they're controlling the environment, you know, First Avenue is going to uh, uh, benefit. But to in terms of embracing uh, black promoters and black music and black audiences, uh, First Avenue has definitely been uh, one of the biggest, um, uh, they've been one of the biggest <laughs> bullies on the block in terms of the club scene here. And so, you know, as years have gone on, uh, you know, and as culture has changed, um, I still feel that my observations are still the same. You have to fit a certain kind of criteria, you know, to actually have access in certain venues. And that's from your corporations uh, all the way down to your local club venues. And and every city has this story. So it's nothing new. I'm not saying anything new that's, not uh, felt in Seattle or mm-hmm. Sacramento or Chicago or New York or whatever. You know, this is, but this is the story of Minneapolis. And the way that First Avenue has been promoted historically to benefit and reap the profits from um, the absolute amazing talent of this um, brother Prince and others, 
from this city um, has been kind of, a, 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 it's really been, it's not a good look for us in this city, especially when Prince moved to, because of those issues, establish his own club venue literally three blocks down the street called Glam Slam, then turned the quest. Talk to me a little bit about Glam Slam. So, so Prince opens his own club. I mean, what was, uh, did people immediately flock to this and was it a successful? Yeah, Glam, uh, in- yeah, Glam Slam was definitely an open, an op- more open, accessible venue for uh, black artists, um, black promoters, and black people to uh, basically, uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, move their way and navigate around the, the club scene. Now, interesting enough, uh, Glam Slam and then called The Quest. Now, you have to kind of reflect a little bit on this time period. Um, we're, we're kind of like in uh, basically the mid-90s um, uh, where crack, the crack epidemic was probably uh, at its peak. Um, and you know the impact that that's had right. uh, nationally on our communities. And so... Uh, at that particular time, uh, Glam Slam, as well as you know, other club venues were, you know, but more specifically Glam Slam because there was a higher concentration of us there. Of course, we bring some of those elements with us in in, in certain club environments, you know, that comes with that nightlife. But <laughs> the interesting thing is, Prince's Club was under a huge amount of scrutiny, in in terms of maybe some fights that might have taken place there uh, sporadically. Uh, I would say no different than the strip club uh, down the street, two blocks down the street on Hennepin Avenue um, that showcased black women, uh, uh, you know, dancing nude um, for the same kind of clientele or maybe a little grimier clientele. Hmm. Uh, But for some reason, uh, Prince's Club became under an attack by the downtown business community. Now, these are the same people that were expressing their love for the brother and how great he was for the state and for the city of Minneapolis and so forth in his death. But these same people were uh, the most critical people in the business community um, that moved to shut his club down. So... There's all kinds of contradictions, and then there's self-responsibility for us as a community as well Mm -hmm. when we do have something uh, of great value because we we have very few black ownership uh, opportunities or black established black places of ownership in our communities as we are today. When we do have these uh, um, things that are established in our communities, we have to do a better job to preserve them. and to take care of them because we already know that they're they're definitely going to be under that kind of attack because it presents a financial threat to the dominant, you know, mainstream business community. And um, who, what better thing could we have to control our music as Prince did move, not to be a slave, to control our businesses and control our money. And so, um, you know, it's an amazing, it's amazing observation, man. And uh, this is, we're talking about Prince, but as I'll say again, 
this is uh, the story of black people wherever we are. Right. And let me ask you this, because you, 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 you live in that area, you've grown up in that area, and I'm, I'm interested, so you coming out of uh, high school in the late 80s, this, you know, this is golden age hip-hop time as well. Yeah, 1989, uh, oh, yeah, golden uh, age hip-hop, yeah. yes. Another That's summer. <laughs> exactly. What? What was the, what did you how did you guys view now obviously at this time Prince was already huge with Purple Rain and all the other things that he's doing but before that like going back to you know uh, the eighties early eighties what was yeah. how did uh, African Americans view Prince in in Minneapolis at that time? Well, um, so let, I will say this: I'm sure, just like most people. Um, and from my memory, um, Prince, uh, was not necessarily well received in his own town at first. Go, go deeper into that. Uh, Zoe Williams. I, I would say, I would dare to say that Prince was an outcast. You understand? Mm. Uh, a, a very talented musician, but socially maybe not as accepted because of, um, his different presentation of the time. Um, and that was a huge uh, issue uh, in terms of how he was received here locally. Um, now, just like anybody, though, as soon as you hit some kind of uh, big accomplishment mm -hmm. and have um, uh, what, what a lot of people would uh, call success, then here we go, and then all of a sudden, now we want to rock with you. So um, Prince had a it's kind of like an interesting exchange uh, of that kind of reality within the community. Now, mind you, the brother was a little older than me, and um, but I can still kind of remember even personally in my peer group the, the kind of interesting relationship that we had with Prince's identity um, and his presentation, um, even within, you know, uh, my peer group being primarily, you know, of the hip hop era, right. you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, I can be more specific. Uh, I used to, there was a, a phenomenal, um, actually this needs to be documented, a teen club, a hip, a hip hop teen club in uptown Minneapolis. And then those familiar with, uh, you know, for instance, uh, catalog uptown, uh, but in Uptown Minneapolis, it was called Bernadette's Uptown YMCA Teen Club. Huh. And this, this teen club, we had, I was one of the DJs, along with another DJ who moved on to work with Prince on some, uh, became his DJ as well as, I think he produced some music with him, uh, a cat by the name of Brother Jules. Brother Jules, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and another brother named KK Zulu. Um, now, we were all the primary DJs and promoters for this uptown teen club called Bernadette's. Now, Bernadette was, uh, Mrs. Bernadette was Mrs. Bernadette Anderson, who Prince lived with, uh, with Andre Simone. And they also, you know, that the basement is uh, part of the story of how, uh, you know, some of their beginning groups started, you know, mm -hmm. over on the north side of Minneapolis. So, um, in that time period, you had Public Enemy, you know what I'm saying, Big Daddy Kane, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, 
Boogie Down Productions. We redoing that kind of thing. Right, right. I hear you. Um, so Prince's identity was a little kind of <laughs> like, you know, like when we talked, you know, if you went out of town and you like said, you know, hey, yeah, I'm from Minneapolis, and everybody would say, oh, yeah, Prince, and we're, you know, kind of like, our career, yeah, yeah, you know, it's Prince, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? I know, I know exactly. Right. It's the same thing when you look at those old pictures of Dr. Dre when they was in the Wrecking Crew, and yeah. it was heavily influenced yeah, yeah, by yeah, Prince, yeah. like, yo, yeah. you're all on some but, funny shit. Yeah, but we could not front, you can't front on some of the music. Yeah, it's talent. You know what I'm saying? Because, for example, Soft and Wet, was a classic roller skating jam <laughs> going back to the to the early you know to the um, mid eighties. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people that was the that was the soundtrack of the roller gardens in many uh, in St. Louis Park, a suburb of, of Minneapolis, and it was also the soundtrack of the Dust Bowl in St. Paul. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because you're dealing with two different communities. Minneapolis, you have the north and the south side, mm-hmm. and then you have also St. Paul. So I mean. You know, as soon as soft and wet hit, it was a wrap. <laughs> so at, at at the at the same place, you had that dynamic of kind of Prince's perception is the way he expresses uh, identification. But then you had the extreme talented musicianship. You know what I'm saying? That right. was rooted in multi multi kind of influences from Jimi Hendrix to James Brown to you know you keep on naming the names. So um, yo, I mean, that's just what it was. So, um, well, he, he definitely was a presence, but I would say in terms of his initial start, he was not received in his own community. He had to earn that, you know, mm. and then once he got on the wave, then you already know what happens. When you're on the wave, everybody wants to ride it. Right. Which is, I don't know if the word, indicative of a lot of uh, things sometimes within our community where if it's something different we're not really riding with it totally yet until we see you know we got to see you know sometimes the dominant culture sometimes give it a stamp if it's different than what yep. we're used to and then we jump on it which is which is a problem in, in some ways but yeah um i wanted to just go back because you mentioned you, you mentioned the uh, bernadette that the ymca thing whatever white w like and I, I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't understand that. Was, Team Club. Say that again. I'm sorry. Say it again. Bernadette's Uptown Teen Club. There's actually some YouTube clips on that. Wow. I mean, it was a man. You just can't. Just this. This was a hip hop club, and it was just. Oh man. Some. I mean, I'm. I'm really want to do a documentary about this experience because it was just amazing um, to have this all black. Kids from all over the Twin Cities, St. Paul, North Side, South Side, surrounding areas of suburbs, all met in Uptown Minneapolis every weekend. And this teen club was on par, I would say, with any hip hop teen club in America at that time mm-hmm. period. And it was just a, it was just a phenomenal. It's just one of those unknown stories, right? And 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 and. Uh, in the narrative of Prince and his connection to Mrs. Bernadette, yes. how she was active in the community and served the community and provided opportunities for the youth. Yeah, because it's that's a little head busting to me because uh, you know obviously we had Andre on a couple times and, and we know some of the story and you hear about his mother, but to hear that actually 
she would, you know, would have a hand in sort of sheltering and bringing in a prince. But then maybe you could argue to say a generation that comes after that with the hip hop, she is actually yeah. one of the people putting it down for that generation in that area. That's that's the documentary right there. Like that's an unsung hero. Uh, what yes. a, what a woman, man. That, and that's that's facts. I want your audience to look up Bernadette's Uptown Teen Club. Wow. There, there's there's some there's some clips out there on YouTube, but it is definitely some um, some rare black history of that time and place, and probably the most powerful, influential time of hip hop in the years of 1988 to 1989, and just a little bit of the uh, of the 90. But okay. you know what I'm saying. But it was also a huge transition in the culture because we started out with African medallions and power right. to the people and was really on the movement. But within a, a, a year and a half time frame, mm -hmm. you could see the transition to um, Gangsters. all of a sudden kids was wearing uh, white T-shirts, having um, the big cell phones and, and the start and the Raiders starter jacket. Right. You know, and that represented that influence that, that coming influence and popular popularized by pop uh, corporations by corporations uh, to really take out uh, the positive messaging of hip hop at that time through the drug culture, and that's nothing new generationally either. That happened in the seventies, and it happened in jazz. I mean, that's 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 a whole different story. But this is a continuum right. of of black culture and influence under attack. Let me ask you this. I'm going to deviate from Prince just for a second, but I'm always fascinated with this, uh, this topic because we talked about, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, black power rap or whatever you want to call it, conscious rap before it was called conscious rap. Yeah. It was just rap. Like, Oh, you had to be, you know, cats was on, you know, some uh, Islam, the 5%. That was a main yeah. part of the culture. Um, but yeah. then, you know, and I remember, and I wanted to ask your opinion. I remember when, uh, well, I remember when NWA came out, and that was actually during yep. this time. But it wasn't, you know, it was kind of like it was a balance. So we didn't really. It was just like, ah, eh, you know, it's easy and them doing their thing. But I remember when yeah. Ice Cube went solo, yeah. and when his first album came out. And I remember, I, said, I knew who Ice Cube was from, you know, NWA. But then I remember my my guy, my buddy, he was like, "Yo, you gotta listen to this album, man. This, this is this is some shit." Now at the time, we're which, heavy. Which one? Which one? Uh, which America's one? most uh, well, America's most wanted. His first first solo album. America's one. Okay, America's most wanted. So yeah. this is what probably eighty eight or nine, eighty nine, and we're heavy into Big Daddy Kane, you know, Chuck, and and everybody else. But I remember right. feeling like. I don't want to like this Ice Cube. You can't deny, I couldn't deny that the boy got lyrics, tell a story. But when the music came on, it was on a higher level. Obviously, you had the bomb squad, but I was like, I don't want to like this because in my mind, he's contradicting almost to me everything I'm listening to in terms of the themes of what he's talking about, at least the way I perceived it. And I just right. thought this is on some... This is that this ain't, you know, this is some ridiculous stuff, but it's so infectious. And I had to like and I kind of like, you know, so, ah, OK, I got to give it up. This shit is dope. You know, I start bumping this. But I'm curious because you kind of spoke on it where there's this other theme coming into hip hop that coming in very yeah. strong. 
Like, how did you, how, did you have any resistance when that stuff started coming oh, yeah. out? Oh, yeah, because I could see the impact that it had directly when the music came on. Because it's, it's deeper than the music, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and many times we kind of want to place all of the responsibility on the artist. Well, you know, sometimes the artists are just really, um, you know, being what they are. They're, they're kind of bridging the gap between uh, real life and art, you know what I'm saying? And at that particular time, when you really rewind the history Los Angeles was under attack, chemical, right. biological warfare. Los Angeles was the hub for uh, one of the most major extermination movements of black communities. You know what I'm saying? Um, and when you really look at the conditions that were happening there, of course that's going to uh, appear and show into every fabric of community institution, including the musician, the artist, the poet. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, many people uh, can stand in those environments and not be impacted and still kind of keep a positive lens on their art. But if you're seeing a total destruction of your neighborhood and your community, through the various different things that takes place in the crack uh, extermination plan, then uh, a lot of that is going to be heard and felt in your energy and your music. And, um, yeah, that, that particular time period needs to be reflected on, no doubt, because I would say, arguably, you know, uh, after, man, after 1990, it was a wrap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. It, it was a wrap. And, and it wasn't, this is not limited to the artists or any group. I'm talking about this movement was backed by major corporations well, that were invested in controlling the black community narrative, the power of the music, and really moving to put uh, the community more in subordination. Of, of of the independence and the freedom and the uh, knowledge and uh, aspirations uh, that were uh, felt by many through the power of hip hop that needed to be that needed to be killed and they did a good job doing it hmm. they did an excellent job doing it I think too you and gotta you know what go ahead I'm sorry uh, go ahead. Uh, wasn't no, say, go ahead, go you, you got to also, I think we also sometimes too have to remember, I know for us, uh, movies were just as influential, if not more, actually, too. Because I remember, yeah. you know, I remember when Colors came out and we didn't know nothing about no gangbanging. And when that movie, after that movie came out, you would have swore everybody was from L.A. or, you know, started dressing yeah. that culture, the slang culture. Uh, yeah. And I love the, you know, uh, Menace of Society, of course, Boys in the Hood. A lot of these movies took that culture that it was just it was sort of isolated and then brought it mainstream to everyone started that. Then you started seeing people claiming, you know, Crips, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas, yeah. different. It ain't got nothing to do yeah. with the street, but it, that imagery right. was so powerful as well. Backed with that music, it was just a wave. Well, you, that took over. You know the same people who put money into um, uh, producing movies are the same people who own the record labels, right? For sure, yeah. 
Right. So, you know, the same people who, you know, I mean, it was a calculated, uh, it was a calculated thing that happened and, and it, and it was so hard and heavy and quick and had huge implications on families and, and communities that I really don't even think we have truly, um, begun to fully dissect what that crack movement really did to us in, 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 in all areas of how that presented itself um, to further disfranchise us uh, from ourselves and, and from, you know, being that independent force that we're capable of being. Uh, want to bring it back around to Prince and I believe is in 91 or so when he started with the Diamonds and Pearls album and of course the uh, Get Off single you, you started to see and because before then you, you Prince sort of uh, I wouldn't say turned his back but there was definitely a line difference between Prince and rap and hip hop music but I think because it became so powerful, he figured it out a little bit and started to incorporate those elements into his music. And I wanted to, I want, I'm very curious, like what we, what was the hometown's take on some of the rappers that Prince worked with during this time, particularly like uh, Tony M, uh, uh, Mr. T.C. Ellis, which I understand was uh, doing things out in the community. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, as well but I was curious what did you guys coming from a hip hop sort of that time frame and then being in hometown this is the Prince world town in a sense at least on the outside looking in yeah. what was your take on that well Prince wasn't hip hop period okay I mean he was he was of, of a different generation you know what I'm saying right uh, you know just point blank I, w- I wasn't feeling Prince in terms of I mean now let me correct that now, Prince's music, some of his music was dope, period, right? Uh, but Prince, Prince was not hip-hop. And, he, and, he, and I think he grew to actually um, appreciate hip-hop as he got um, a little wise, you know what I'm saying? And um, as times changed, and I'm sure he could uh, sense that... Uh, Hip hop was not a fad or a trend. It was actually a uh, a institution, uh, you know, a a, a, a cultural, uh, you know, kind of phenomenon that uh, is right now the move to outsell rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? So th- this is all a time kind of span where hip hop has actually grew and became a dominant cultural force. Um, at that particular time period, you can't, you couldn't really say that about hip hop then. You know, yes, it was definitely a presence and it was a strong presence, but it wasn't a dominant cultural force as it is now. And although it's been filtered and, um, you know, kind of uh, co-opted, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, my, you know, my perception around any conversation with Prince and hip hop at that particular point in time was, I mean, we no, that just wasn't what it was. Period. Okay. I mean, you 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 don't talk about Prince and hip hop. You talk about him and and music. You know what I'm saying? There was there was no hip hop conversation. Well, it, to, be, to be clear, that, effort. I would say he's. It wasn't hip hop. I like to, I like to think there's a difference between hip hop and rap. But in terms of him 
yeah. adding rap into his music, right? Uh, yeah. With some of these other yeah. rappers, did you were you guys aware of of these other? Uh, yeah, we, we yeah we we was aware of that, but um, and I'm only speaking for myself, right? Okay. Um, and and the peer group that you know for for here for this area that you know I was in relationship with. You might talk to somebody else, and they might be like, "Yo, that was dope." You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So, but um, nah, a Prince's Prince Prince's influences at that time in terms of rap nah people wasn't really feeling that and that's and, and maybe the people that dug prince was feeling that you know if you was a heavy heavy prince fan maybe you did dig that you know what i'm saying but in terms of i'm talking about from a hip-hop kind of lens nah but ironically enough i'll even push back before the time period that you talked about prince was heavy his his influence was heavy into hip hop. If you look back on uh, yeah. Crush Groove, mm-hmm. and 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 Prince was always on the scene. Look at, I mean, his music was in uh, uh, one of the most you know pioneering hip hop movies prior to Wild Style. You know, uh, so you know with Sheila E. and his music being on that soundtrack and his sound being on that soundtrack, right. You know, that Minneapolis influence was very much a part of the time. Uh, and so it, it, it definitely had a connection to hip-hop culture, but in terms of it, um, you know, being kind of like uh, part of the the music of the culture or having kind of respectability in the music of the culture, no, it was, a, to, uh, and I'm speaking for myself, it had its, it, Prince had his, separate identity, separate musical sound, but still had an influence across kind of cultural influence with the hip-hop community, mm-hmm. sort of like that. All right. Um, also, too, I wanted to ask you about the Minneapolis sound because, again, mm-hmm. you know, to be clear, yes, we have Prince, but we had Titans that came out of that area, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, right? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Jesse Johnson's yep. coming out of there, obviously Andre Morris. I- Alexander O'Neill. Alexander O'Neill. Uh, you have some of the, and then coming after them, sort of keeping that musician point would be Stokely in, in mint condition uh, yes, and yes, things of that yes. nature. When you got, so when you were in that younger period and, and sort of the people that came right before, they were like on that musicianship. They were musicians. There was the Minneapolis sound, which I'm sure you remember was very big uh, in the eighties, mm-hmm. that whole, the, even the, the yeah. imagery of it, were you guys influenced yeah. by that to, to pick up a music, a pick up an instrument or, you know, or uh, dress like that? Nah, nah, nah. Just <laughs> remember, you know, we was, uh, you know, my, this, I'm talking like, you know, on some hip hop, you know, this, we was on two turntables, microphones, okay. and, um, you know, trying to do what we could do to, uh, for, forward the music and the culture, you know what I'm saying, in yes. this area. Okay. So uh, I think the musicianship and things of that nature was for people who really uh, wanted to be musicians and uh, were highly influenced by the Minneapolis sound, um, which was about uh, a full spectrum of quality musicianship. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, on a different side, depending on, you know, maybe what age group you were talking to at that time period, you had a lot of people who were heavy. Two turntables and a microphone, uh, you know, parties, you know, uh, you know, independent 
hip hop motions, uh, groups, things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And, and, and it was all kind of a coexisting within the artistic landscape of the, uh, of, of of the black community at that time. So uh, that's kind of the you know kind of the duality of what was happening in Minneapolis. On one end, you had this huge worldwide cultural phenomena of the quote-unquote Minneapolis sound that that, um, it, that touched a lot of people with just quality musicianship and, 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 and um, uh, an, an enormous catalog of contributions uh, to uh, R&B and uh, black music in general. Uh, and then you also had this uh, a group of uh, a community that was, again, heavy into hip-hop and... Uh, this whole uh, platform and art form of the, the DJ, the MC, and um, uh, these independent parties, you know, that move to organize and, and, uh, and, and create opportunities to fellowship within that community as well. So, um, you know, it, it was an interesting time period. It was an interesting time period. And, and I will be, you know, the first to say that you know, I'm definitely proud of the, the legacy of um, of that Minneapolis, that Minneapolis community, that Minneapolis sound has has created, that stemmed right out of here and went worldwide. You know, I mean, I think of groups even like the SOS band uh, that came here and had just, man, mm-hmm. quality, quality um, albums and singles. And I mean, there's just so many different groups, you know, that came out uh, from here and was either cultivated, produced uh, by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, or influenced by the by the overall sound coming from this area. Uh, you know, you you think of even groups like Ready for the World, the, right. the Deal, other groups from other areas of the country who uh, uh, the Force and Beast. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, th- I mean, this area impacted. A lot of different people from a lot of different areas, and was I would I would say a dominant sound for um, I would arguably you could put maybe twenty years on on that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yeah, and uh, even throw Ice T in there. I remember Jimmy Jam produced a song for Ice T early on. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's interesting because to me, like the Minneapolis sound um, was to me like one of the last sort of the r&b sort of dominant styles and right before hip-hop sort of came in and just you know mm-hmm. went crazy because i remember 81 and uh now again a lot of music was sort of regionalized at this time too this wasn't mtv and so some things that were happening mm-hmm. in certain areas you didn't really hear about in certain areas but i remember like uh you know the time and the prince uh down in houston texas they ran the streets. I, I remember visiting there. I always say this all the time, and I didn't know what the music was, but I was like, "What is this y'all playing?" Like they, you know, they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, how you don't know what this is? This is the jam. And then, I, mm-hmm. but, but I came from Seattle, where I, you know, at the time, I'm I'm kind of like we're heavy African bambada. We're very influenced. We're influenced by New York for whatever reasons in, in that early hip hop. But I remember like, yeah. whoa, this is a whole other thing going on here. Uh, and then years later. 1999, Purple Rain, you know, the whole world is, is on his nuts. 
But it's sort of that it was that juggling between that was popping and then, you know, the rise of like a run DMC and, and all of that was so heavy, yeah. too. So it was like we're playing both of these things at the same time. Uh, yeah. And again, that heavy, as you said, that heavy Minneapolis influence, uh, at least on the West Coast, it, you know, yeah, you could see it. You know, people were, uh, you know, you could see it in Dr. Dre and all the stuff they were doing. The imagery yeah. of them, the music, the, you know, the the dress, mm-hmm. that style was heavy. Mm-hmm. That Prince style visually was just as strong, if not for even the music, and you know, the whole industry was on that music. So, yeah, I mean, he was man. He's a pioneer of pioneers. Um, I wanted to also shift a little bit here too to talk about. Because uh, I heard you mention this before about family and being connected and or disconnected mm. from family and just sort of mm-hmm. how, in your opinion, how that what's going on with Prince and his estate and, uh, wow. you know, not having a will and different things of that nature. Like, what's your take on that? Mm. I think that's one of the reasons why Prince was such a powerful artist, because of the pain that the brother went through. Um, in his own family um, experience. And, you know, again, I'm speaking as um, uh, one who observes culture and, you know, uh, where we are as a people. So all my comments are coming from that perspective. I'm not related to family, so I want to clearly say that. But um, I think Prince, just like a lot of of us, brother, we... we, um, uh, his generation, let's look at his generation. Uh, how old was Prince when he died? Let's just say, what, what, what was the age of brother died? How old was he? He was 57. So so let's look at that generation. Arguably, you could say that Prince, at the age of 57, the time he was born, he could have been um, on his birth certificate. He could have been a Negro. Right. Okay. Okay. That generation, his generation, came in at the tail end of being a Negro into into being empowered to being black, moved to become another identity as African American. And between black and the Negro, you, for some in different communities, there was another term, Afro-American. So that's like four different identities within your lifetime Hmm. that we had as a people. Then also, you had a huge attack that happened as a result of the years of the Black Power Movement, 1968 to 1975, where the black community was under attack by uh, the dominant, you know what I'm saying, power of this country, which uh, clarified its position as certain elements in this community being um, uh, an ultimate threat to the stability of this country. So the same, uh, the same attack that we saw with crack years later, earlier we had a, an, another attack in black communities called Heron that did the same thing that it's doing now to white folks. But then when they did it to us in the early mid seventies, they called us junkies. 
But now they call these white folks that are strung out on heroin, they're actually moving to pass laws to help them not even be incarcerated. But now it's a mental health issue. <laughs> so just imagine his age group, the kind of breakdown and family structure that happened. And we're not even moving back toward the migration from the South to the North and all the, the generational kind of traumas that came up through that kind of brutality that happened in the South that moved to the North because the white liberal condition is probably even worse. Because uh, in the white liberal kind of attack, they, they, they kill you slowly. At least down south, they, they lynched you on a, a tree and they, you know, they killed you immediately. But in these white liberal northern cities, they set up conditions to kill you slow. So let's look at a young man by, the, by that age group and look at the, the generational pain that took place in a, in a family structure around all those things, drugs, lack of job opportunities, uh, of a proliferation of, of, of racist kind of institutions and small uh, northern communities um, and the, the outlet that music and the arts have to express the power of your experience. Mm -hmm. And I think um, with what happened more specifically with Prince, it just mirrors where we are as a, as a black family, period. I mean, brother, me personally, uh, I come from a divorced family. You understand? Many of my friends, I, if I, the friends that I grew up with, I, out of 10 of them, mm -hmm. I think one of them, their mom and dad stayed together. Mm -hmm. You know how many, do you know how many families uh, got caught up in that tornado? Do you know how that impacts generational wealth right. and the transfer of ownership of property or, or any kind of things that come out of a position of uh, stability and family? Mm. So then we move to normalize broken families, broken relationships, and then we get in positions of tragic events when, because of the pain, one way or another, you might not even move to establish a will or an estate. And therefore, when you don't do that, these, the same white folks that wouldn't let you perform at their club, First Avenue, are the same white folks that are running the judicial system. And they're, they're moving to move on your money. Hmm. Because we lost all of our power. That's a hurtful thing, brother. Yeah, man. I, it, <laughs> dealing with that divorce and you said a broken family. So I come from that. And the, the reality and or shame of that is the cycle sort of continues. So definitely I'm understanding what you're saying. I know a lot of us are, unfortunately. And that does help put in a little bit of perspective of terms of where 
Prince's situation is and, um, you know, the relationship maybe with his family uh, and family members, possibly, you know. Uh, Can you imagine how that affects your family dynamics when you're when you're not connected as you should be? Look, brother, mm-hmm. I, my mom and dad don't even talk to each other. They can't even sit down and talk about their own grandchildren. Mm. That's personal. That's my personal contribution to this conversation. Right. But my story is no different than a lot of our stories, and that's the same story of Prince, man. Mm. It might not be the exact same thing, but it definitely takes on some of those dynamics. Mm-hmm. So do you think these white folks are going to do right by you and preserve your money for the best of the family with all those dynamics? Absolutely not. And when they get done with you, they'll give you a little bit of change. They might set up a foundation for you and all that other kind of stuff. But you're not in ownership of what this brother, uh, this tremendous legacy that this brother left. And that's something that we're going to have to deal with as a community. That's something that many of us are going to have to return to the pain of our families and heal some of that. Because the more that we allow ourselves for this to become normal, the, the, the weaker we're going to be and the less respected we'll be. Mm. And that's something we have to do. Forget white folks and forget the, the, everything that they... Um, you know, can control and have influence on us. Let, let's talk about what we need to do. What are some... Because th- we're in Minneapolis, we're in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. St. Paul right now, and guess what? There is no black club. Mm. Is All there, of them are gone. Is there, is there a, you know, African-American, <laughs> is there an African-American community there? Is there a place yeah. where there's a, some businesses and different things that people are doing or what? Yeah, but you know the story like any city. We got barbershops, hair salons, cell phone stores, gotcha. uh, um, 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 a couple of uh, corner store t-shirt shops, mm-hmm. um, and maybe a couple of restaurants, maybe. Hmm. Is it any different than where you live? Oh, well, we ain't got none of that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, Ethiopians or anybody you know I mean? else, they got it popping. But yeah, we we all over the place. It is what it is, brother, and that's why we can be so powerful. Look at the brothers' music, so powerful. Look at the kind of influence, the global mm-hmm. influence this brother had on the world. But in his own hometown, we don't even got a black club to celebrate our music to celebrate our people, to celebrate that accomplishment and that impact that we've, that came out of this area. Yeah. I mean, you know, one would say you have Paisley park, but then the other thing would be to say, it's a, I don't know if it's ironic or if it's a shame or it's just the nature of business that you would have Graceland being the ones, you know, yeah. Elvis, come on. (laughs) P.E., Elvis was a hero to most. <laughs> right? Right, right. But he never white met. Boy who, 
the white boy who pimped black culture. Mm. Now he owns and, and is running Prince's. You realize Prince would never be having that. Oh, no. You know that? That, that, that would never, ever be even part of any possibility. This is a brother who actually told everybody, I'm not a slave. Mm. And now Elvis is running Paisley Park. Get the fuck out of here with that shit, man. That's 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 a shame. It is. And you and you won't have this conversation like this with a whole bunch of people in this city and they won't tell it to you like this. Because the same people at least look like I said, at least Prince told people he's not a slave. And unfortunately you got a lot of people that are closing their mouths and they won't tell it to you like this. Because they don't want to offend them white folks <laughs> that own these institutions, right. that own our music, that own our mouths. Mm. Wow. I want the listeners to That's really, on us. yeah, I want the listeners to really think about what we're talking about. Uh, because you got to have an honest conversation about it. You don't have to agree with everything we're saying here, but just think about that last part. And I'm not shitting on Graceland, but I'm just saying it sounds crazy. It'd be no different if somebody said the, uh, I don't know, the Paul McCartney estate or John Lennon estate is being ran by uh, Ebony Magazine or something. You'd be like, huh? Like that? Look, man, I'm shitting on Graceland. <laughs> Fuck that you shit. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I feel you. Uh, Paisley Park should be run by Prince's family. Right. Period. And they should, they, whatever is going on, they should, uh, you know, and that's why we need to do the work, brother. When we're in pain, when you hear the brother's music, it strikes an emotional chord. There's certain mm -hmm. Prince songs that you know mm -hmm. that he's speaking from a position of pain. That's why it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. The greatest artists have usually been the one, ones who have been vulnerable to experience the most pain. Think of Marvin Gaye. Think of Mary J. Blige. Think of, you know, a whole bunch mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. But it's that pain we got to deal with. And money does not heal pain. You know, what's interesting about Prince is, is I'm thinking what we're talking about. Prince was the kind of person who, from the outside, looked like he was taking a loss. But he was actually taking a gain. And what I mean by that was when he decided that he didn't want to deal with record companies in that way and he would write the slave on his face, it would seem as if, man, he's going to uh, torpedo his career if he's not going to allow these major corporations to be in control of it. But actually, he won by doing that. Now, from the outsider's point of view, it looks crazy. But it was, maybe this would be the same thing with Paisley Park. It looks like, oh, okay, you're going to have these guys because they know how to do it. But maybe we got to be able to take that and, and uses an education to learn how to do our own business. And maybe it's not going to be uh, seen as a success by some people because they don't have this major money behind it, but it's, it'd be ours. But Prince was the type of guy who would do that and he would come out and win, even though it looked like he, yes. you know, then years later it'd be like, Oh, you know what? He was right. <laughs> do you know how many, do you know how many moves Prince made that impacted so many different artists? Even, yeah. 
let's even have the a, a contemporary kind of comparison with Jay Z and and what mm. he's done with Tadao or Tidal or whatever it's called. Tadao, hilarious. <laughs> The way the way he commodified the digital space online prior to anybody, mm-hmm. the way he moved to move away from uh, major uh, record labels and establish his own uh, his own kind of business entity. Think of possibly what kind of influence he had on Wu Tang. Hmm. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like. The brother then the brother really made some phenomenal moves and, and that maybe also thinks uh lets me also want to introduce in the conversation uh, you know, kind of the energy around the community of Minneapolis and Saint Paul and the cultural community. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 you know, there are black people here that definitely um were highly influential on uh on Prince's kind of identification and move to become more in, in, independent and free in terms from you know kind of like through a cultural lens in that as well okay so uh you know the brother definitely grew in his ca- career um on a lot of different levels and i think what you saw at the end of everything is 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 a man a young man that was in in full control of his narrative and his art and uh, his expression as a human being, and that's that's powerful. Yeah, it is, and, and he fought for it too. You know, that's right. And it, just think if we would fight for those kind of principles, uh, more of us in our community, how powerful we could be. Well, man, Mr. Chowder, I want to end it on that note, man, because that's a powerful thing for us to think right. about. Um, but okay, I want Mr. Crowder too. Crowder, man, I'm sorry. Did it that time. <laughs> See, there you go. You need to go ahead and switch your name over so I can really say it right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I told you, man. I'm kind of transitioning to my my African. You know what I'm saying? I'm going back to the '89 on people, man. Uh-oh. But um, okay. Yeah, say but that. yeah. No, I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate the build with y'all, and um. I also want to thank you for establishing an independent um, platform of media and communication and having an alternative narrative to popular conversation because it's easy to do a a kind of a mainstream analysis of uh, Prince and um, all the issues, uh, you know, uh, of the influence. But... You know, you kind of put yourself in a a um, a different position when you um, allow the, the multiple kind of uh, expressions to be a part of an independent platform, and uh, and that's that's what we need uh, more than ever. Um, not only from these conversations, but uh, multiple discussions in our community. We need independent black media. To be the voice of the people um, uh, that that many times has to be the counter narrative of corporate media, which is highly having us highly watching Channel Zero again. Back to you know those influences of early hip hop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, for sure. No, I appreciate we you gotta, coming we on. We got it. We 
we got to continue to tell our stories, brother. So I thank y'all for having me on. Yes, sir. And also, I want to make sure we shout out uh, Cindy Lewis uh, for helping uh, yeah. bring us together, man. So definitely want to shout her out. Also, uh, again, I wanted to ask you, where can people see this series? Are you still working on this? Or is it out, the controversy yeah. series? Yeah, there's little, I think there's little clips um, online, um, and you can definitely see some things online in terms of like the Prince connection to Bernadette's Uptown Teen Club, but you can um, access our media that we produce, uh, including the controversy series um, on our website, and I'll say that um, it's Freedom Radio and, that's A-N-D, TV.com. Freedom radio and tv.com all right i think the story you are telling is an important one that needs to be talked about because there are a lot of books and different things coming out but i like to hear all stories and again just even with the parts you dropped about the bernadette thing that's heavy and i had never heard that before as much as i've tried to stay up on print so definitely we need to have people with their own personal and or observational, you know, awareness of the of, of Minneapolis to speak up. So thank you for uh, sharing that with us. And I hope that the listeners go out and check that out. And again, if something sounds like you don't understand, yeah, I don't believe that. Well, go look for yourself. Do, do your Googles, do your own research and look at it in an honest light. Uh, that's how that's I, right. I like to say. My man, you're a little quiet there, Mr. Big Sexy and Sacker. You're all right. You're still with us. I'm still with this. I'm just uh, taking it all in. That's what's up. All right. Well, we're going to get up out of here. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, check us out on uh, Freedom Train. Wow, you got me. I'm all over the place. I almost said Freedom Train. Check us out on podcastjuice.net. <laughs> also, I got to invite you guys to check us out on YouTube. We have uh, sort, of, we've sort of started. We've started our own YouTube channel. Uh, we've been blessed to have tremendous success uh, very quickly. So I want to make sure that all of the listeners are aware of our YouTube channel. Just look up Prince Podcast. You'll see some of our classic episodes up there. We're going to start putting some new stuff. Uh, so definitely check that out. Also, uh, I, will, I will be in Minneapolis uh, next weekend. Uh, starting oh, okay. from the 7th through the 9th. I'll be there as a part of the PRN alumni uh, event. Uh, specifically, at I'll... At the Capri? At the Capri. I'll be there, sir, uh, moderating one of the oh, panels. Oh, man, we're going we're gonna to have to hook up there. We got to chop it up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So definitely uh, look out for that. And also, lastly, continued uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Um, thank you so much for your support to help this show uh, grow and, and continue forward. So I want to make sure I'm very, I want to make sure that you know I'm very appreciative of that. All right. With that said, let's get up out of here. This is Michael Dean, the Prince Podcast. Work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace. This is a grown man hustle, baby. And I ain't playing around. So get your money up first and we'll see who's down. Got a homeboy. Leave it.